Thank you for joining us for another episode of Poetry Centered. I'm Julie Swerstad-Johnson, and I'm here to welcome you to the show, where we invite a contemporary poet to introduce recordings from VOCA, the University of Arizona Poetry Center's online archive of recorded poetry readings. Joining us today is Douglas Kearney. He's a poet, performer, and librettist who teaches creative writing at the University of Minnesota, Twin Cities. He's the author of six books, including his most recent, Buck Studies. In this episode, Douglas introduces recordings by Rosa Alcala, Martin Espada, and I that each give rise to reflections on human community and the possibility for both connection and violence that they hold. To close, he reads a poem sparked by writer Fred Moten's essay, A Natural History of Inequality. Douglas, thanks for joining us. This is Douglas Kearney, recording from Rondo in St. Paul, Minnesota. This is Rosa Alcala's Are You Okay? from Thursday, January 30th, 2020. I've kept Rosa Alcala's My Other Tongue with me for the last few months. Nightstand, desk, satchel. I've been reading it slow-like, which is to say I am reading it because no one has made me responsible for reading it, but because I get to read it. This kind of reading is precious to me, but it is also practical here for how Alcala, in these poems, breaks breath. N-stopped trisyllabic lines, M-dashes, interior tabs, a library of silences. Thus she plays the content's precarity, amplifying it. In picking a poem from the archive, I hope to find a reading of something from my other tongue, curious about how she sounds these sudden absences. I found instead new translations of Cecilia Vicuña and uncollected originals, meaning I found more hella good stuff. I could have chosen one of the Vicuñas, and I nearly did. I mean, new erotic designs for furniture is right there. But as I listened to the whole set, Are You Okay came up, and frankly, it set the thematic tone for this whole podcast episode, one in which I'm thinking about banter, socialities, and human cruelty. First, in the banter, I love how Alcala for a moment ruptures the agreement between herself and the audience. She sets out to text a friend, poet Raquel Gutierrez, during the reading, ignoring the people there to hear her. In that moment, the structure of a poetry reading is playfully transgressed. The performative intimacy is unsatisfactory. Gutierrez is present, thus Alcala becomes ambivalent enough about the event to pretend to ignore it for a pass. This also allows for a sociality to be assembled, constellated, one that is critical to the poem itself, a found poem built of vital linkages between friends through the technologies of social media. What the poem will reveal is that for a friend to be absent, unaccounted for, this must disrupt business as usual, revealing larger social structures at work. In Alcala's framing and composition of the poem, we note that these connections, in tension with the structures putting work in on them, are key to keeping one's breath unbroken. The cruelty. Oh, you'll see. 
Here's Rosa Alcala from Thursday, January 30th, 2020, reading Are You Okay? This is called Are You Okay? This is a found poem. And is Raquel Gutierrez here somewhere? Damn, should I make it to my reading? (laughs) I'm going to text her right now. (laughs) I'm reading a poem with something you said in it, and you're not here. No, I'm just kidding. I will get get her back, though. Um, So uh, this is called Are You Okay? This is a found poem. Um, I think you'll recognize the references, but um, I wanted to dedicate uh, this to those of you who are from El Paso here. I know um, Gabe is here, um, and Rafael is here from El Paso. I don't know who else is from El Paso. Um, Anyone else? Oh, yeah. Hey! What are you guys doing here? Well, you're not, you're not, you, you are, but you are from Nicaragua, who's passed through El Paso, former student. Nice to see you. So, um, one of these lines is something that uh, Raquel Gutierrez wrote to me, so I wanted to acknowledge her, but there are a lot of other voices here. So, it's the found poem, Are You Okay? Checking in. Let me know you're not anywhere near Cielo Cielo Vista Mall, please. Active shooter in the area. Just heard about the shooting in El Paso. You guys all okay? I just read there was a shooting in an El Paso mall. Assuming you're all fine, but just checking. Si usted y y su familia están en El Paso, espero que estén a salvo. Safe and sound? Are you guys okay? You guys okay? Thinking of you and El Paso and our American addiction to gun violence. ¿Cómo están? ¿Qué tragedia horrible? Les mando muchos besos. Querida, are you all okay? Sending double hearts emoji and cariño. Just reading about El Paso, sending all my heart emoji. Colleagues, I hope you and yours are all safe, heart emoji. Just want to tell everyone I know that I love them, XXOO. I hope you and your family are safe. My dear, I'm sorry to text you to ask you if you are all safe and sound, but I love you and I must. This is horrific. Please tell me you were nowhere near a Walmart today, praying hands emoji. Hey fam, thinking of you, breaking heart emoji for a chuco. Are you okay? How are you doing, hermana? I miss you. Terribly upsetting situation in El Paso. My heart goes out to you all. ¿Cómo están ustedes? ¿Estás bien y tu familia y conocidos? Crying emoji, muy doloroso, no paro de llorar. Thank you. This is City of Coughing and Dead Radiators from Wednesday, December 2nd, 1992 by Martin Espada. I believe Imagine the Angels of Bread was the first Martin Espada collection I read. Was it a friend from San Diego or the Twin Cities introduced me to Espada's work? I can't recall. I do know A Mayan Astronomer in Hell's Kitchen was one of the first books of contemporary poetry I went looking for on the strength of a past read. City of Coughing and Dead Radiators is the title poem from the collection Come Before Imagine the Angels of Bread. And in it, like so many of his poems, 
We are led by Espada's speaker as advocate, this time in a courtroom crowded with tenants and landlords. The narrative swells, too, with jump cuts into impressionistic reeling hyperreality. This woozy blend spoke to me then. How language could rupture with abrupt image, like the sound of a father cussing about a landlord, and how that could conjure the landlord themselves, a room away, leering in the dark. I'm struck now by how the separate stories of the lawyers, espadas, clients, form a kind of sociality that he cannot join. From the opening line and the poem's last stanza, the speaker is associated with power, yet lacks access to its full range. Quote, I cannot evict them, goes the first line's critical enjambment, quote, from my insomniac nights, end quote. And in the ultimate stanza, the we, the speaker joins, quote, shut files and click briefcases to leave, end quote, as petty cruelty teems with violent callousness to crush the lives of the Latinx, Latino, and Latina poor. I've been thinking a lot about banter at poetry readings recently, and Espada's finish here has an irony that isn't funny, but funny. Here's Martin Espada from Wednesday, December 2nd, 1992, reading City of Coughing and Dead Radiators. What I do now as a lawyer is... um. I helped to run a program called Su Clinica Legal. Su Clinica Legal is a legal services program for low-income tenants in Chelsea, Massachusetts. Uh, Chelsea's a tough little town right across the Tobin Bridge from Boston. Uh, it is uh, the poorest town in Massachusetts, and it's about 40% Latino now, uh, Puerto Rican, Dominican, Salvadoran, Guatemalan, and uh, requires a lot of uh, Spanish-speaking legal services. Uh, in the housing area. One night, I couldn't sleep. I was thinking about the clients, people who had passed through my office, had passed through that courthouse. And I wrote the following poem, which is uh, the controversial title poem of the book that Norton's going to publish next year. It's called City of Coughing and Dead Radiators, Chelsea, Massachusetts. I cannot evict them from my insomniac nights, tenants in the city of coughing and dead radiators. They bang the radiators like cold, hollow marimbas. They cry out to unseen creatures skittering across their feet in darkness. They fold hands over plates to protect food from ceilings, black with roaches. And they answer the call of the list. All evictions in court, brays the clerk. Quiet and dutiful as spectral troops returning, they file into the courtroom, crowding the gallery. The patient one from El Salvador, shoemaker's union refugee, slapping his neck to show where that vampire of an army bullet pierced his uncle's windpipe. The red-haired woman with no electricity but the drug's heat, swimming in the pools of her blue bruises, white-skinned as the candle she lives by, who will move this afternoon for a hundred dollars. 
the prostitute swollen with pregnancy and sobbing as the landlady sneers miscarriage before a judge poking his broken hearing aid. The girl surrounded by a pleading carousel of children in Spanish bewilderment, sleepless and rat vigilant, who wins reluctant extermination but loses the youngest lead paint retarded. The man alcohol puffed graph of scars stretching across his belly, locked out, shirt stolen, arrested at the hearing for the rampage of his detox hallucinations. The Guatemalan boy, who listens to the wall for his father's landlord defiant staccato, jolted awake by flashes of the landlord floating over the bed, parade balloon, waving a kitchen knife. For all those sprawled downstairs with the work boots crusted map printed on the back, the creases of the judge's face collapse into a fist. As we shut files and click briefcases to leave, a loud-faced man trumpets from the gallery. Death to legal aid! Well, there's a happy little poem. A joyous poem for the holiday season. I am available for children's parties, by the way. This is Abortion from Wednesday, September 13th, 1972, by I. Remembering what shaped my early work sent me back to the dramatic monologue, an approach to poetry what allows for shape-shifting. Among the living, my favorite writer of such poems is Tim Siebel's, but ten years gone, I haunts me still. It is a discipline for many to memorize beloved poems. I'll be good one day, but for now I settle with the way lines from a poem I haven't chanted to recall stick with me, and with eyes writing, not as a melody, but a thorn, something to worry at if I could reach it. These lines are from Childbeater. Quote, So far, you've only had a taste of icing. Are you ready now for some cake? End quote. I is infamous for poems with cruel speakers. When I say I write to understand cruelty these days, as I have now for most of the 25-odd years I've seriously been at poetry, this métier begins with I. She helps me suss the critical difference between comprehending and sympathizing with the speakers, even as she barefoots the razor herself. There was also a cool minute I was after an austerity, like that of the Kid A album cover from Radiohead. Shit, I should have just reread some I. In this recording from the archive, I's banter is wild. Sure, poetry readings hadn't formed Ford like into the structures many of us encounter today, but out the gate, I explicitly undermines her participation in the reading as professional exchange. She hasn't practiced. From there, she presences the professionalizing mechanism of the reading. She describes her credentials, making plain her bio, and how that operates to not only legitimize her, but the venue itself through institutional entanglements. She also talks about her name and address, the poem's pilfered lines, 
all with a kind of tossed-off air. Now, the sociality she creates is with the audience. Yet as we note with Alcala, there's a sense that the audience is incidental. The contrast, to me, is that while Alcala's play and shout-outs slyly show the people in the room with whom she'd most like to speak, I seems to pay the audience little mind in terms of what they might want from her. The lightness of it is the only thing that makes it surprising in the face of her poems. The irony of Espada's joke about children's parties would be redundant here. I speaks a bit like she's actually at a party. Only now, she's about to tell a story about this couple she knows. Here's I, from Wednesday, September 13th, 1972, reading Abortion. I didn't really practice. I don't know what kind of reading you're going to get. Um, I didn't say this, but I got a BA from the U of A in um, Oriental Studies and uh, Master of Fine Arts and Poetry from the University of California at Irvine. I know they'd want me to say that at Irvine. <laughs> I call myself I because um, I, for a long time I didn't want to use my own name and I don't like it. And I studied Japanese, but I you know, totally forgotten when I decided what name, but it means love in Japanese. But actually I was doing numerology and A means is one and I is ten. Together they make eleven and that means spiritual force and so that's the name I want to be under and it also for me means impersonal I the eye of the universe. I was trying to, to get rid of my ego. And I could also write it as an Egyptian hieroglyph. Duh. Now I'll start. And, you know, my dress comes unbuttoned, so just let me know <laughs> while I read. And just, I want to mention one other thing. Um, there's this magazine out now called Ironwood. It has some poems in there. I don't usually read poetry magazines, but it's really good, and if you see it, maybe you should get a copy of it. There's some fine poems in there. I really like okay. I don't like to read sitting down. I don't know how this will be. And my poems are harsh, but they're, on, they're meant to show the truth which a lot of people are afraid to face. And then a lot of the poems are sort of just psychological studies, really. The first one's called Abortion. Coming home, I find you still in bed. But when I pull back the blanket, I see your stomach as flat as an iron. You've done it as you warned me you would and left the fetus wrapped in wax paper for me to look at. My son, woman, loving you no matter what you do, what can I say except that I've heard the poor have no children, just small people, and there is room only for one man in this house. Now, every people really like this poem. This, the lines 
second to the last line is from a commercial on L.A. television which says the poor have no children, just small people. So I stole that line. I thought, I thought it was really one of the uh, really nice commercial picture of the child on there. It's really, it's really good. piece of writing that I would like to add of my own to the socialities that I've been bantering about is a piece called The Social Whose Life in Exhaustion of the Given Has Often Been Mistaken for Death. The title of that comes from an essay written by Fred Moten, and that essay is called Black Cant. That piece is part of a series which also draws his name from the same essay by Fred Moten. And the series is called A Natural History of Inequality. And so, as you can imagine, it's about certain cruelties. The social whose life in exhaustion of the given has often been mistaken for death. Shit that our lives collectively need struggle for mattering. Is we, is we, is we ghosts? If so, passage through taxonomic walls should be categorical, but I stay busting my unmattered nose on the margin. Meticulous in my essays, come to pass these tests lay me leveled, a kind of plane of face. My research done been undone, lacking a working physics for immaterial contradiction. Onward despite no way. What is too high to get over, I leap at. Or too low, I dig. Or what holds fast, I throw us at many one more yens. The blood on my face seems my face, shouldn't it? Under theoretical ghosthood conventions? We lay down again, though face down this time. I aim to gain such insight into crime scene geography. But then that isn't a priori versus a posteriori knowledge. That is, if I stay a kind of working way to get blood, we am such insight that knowledge. Both. A ghost toils at haunting a where, if you're there hearing chains bojangle or no. Bet this place was haunted prior our being born here as trespassers. The wind that stutters yonder curtains ain't nothing but us breathing. There ain't no ghost they ain't already killed. Douglas, thank you for hosting us today and bringing those poems into conversation with one another and with your own work. We're grateful for your time. Thank you, listeners, for being here with us. We've got one more episode for you in season two that you won't want to miss, hosted by Jane Hirschfield. If you're enjoying the show, we're always grateful for reviews, ratings, and shares with new listeners. We hope to be here with you again in two weeks. Poetry Centered is a project of the University of Arizona Poetry Center, home to a world-class library collection of more than 80,000 items related to contemporary poetry in English and English translation. Located on the campus of the University of Arizona in Tucson, the Poetry Center library and buildings are housed on the indigenous homelands of the Tohono O'odham people. Poetry Centered is supported by the work of Diana Marie Delgado, Tyler Meyer. And I'm your producer, Julie Sorstad Johnson. Explore VOCA, the Poetry Center's audiovisual archive online at voca.arizona.edu.